0: You have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. This message comes from BOF sponsor eBay. You'll know real when you get it. It'll say eBay Authenticity Guarantee. And you'll feel it. Maybe it's a head-turning handbag, a watch that says it all. Brea Soders is known for disrupting our assumptions of what photography
1: is. She does this through a multifaceted practice that defies categorization. She is constantly shifting tools, processes and strategies, creating images that are unfamiliar and unfixed. The tension between art and science that manifests in her practice is attributed to her childhood and growing up with creative parents. Her mother was also an artist and her father a physicist who tinkered with sculpture on the side. Yet at the heart of her multivalent way of seeing is personal survival, a process of self actualization and awakening through life's most complex challenges. Her images are imbued with these rich histories that speak to her deepest memories that over time reflect an archive of existence. In 11 years, her first monograph, published by St. Lucie Books, we see six bodies of work evoking a sense of wonder while grappling with the enduring challenge of climate change, technology, trauma and belonging. Here we experience the decisions that form her distinct visual language, from fleeting materiality, a seductive use of colour and how she allows chance to infiltrate her rigorous process.
2: There are very few rules in life when you really think about it, and chance plays a pretty large part in the way that our lives unfold. In my art-making process, I try to mirror real life in that way, like it's a collaboration between concrete action on my part
1: and chance. I'm Jen Fletcher, and this is The Messy Truth, Conversations on Photography. Bria Sodas is a visual artist working primarily with photography, Her work has been shown internationally, and she's represented by the Bruce Silverstein Gallery. Her work has been included in many books like Photography is Magic, The Photographer's Contemporary Art, and How Colour Works. In 2021, she released her first monograph, 11 Years, with St. Lucie Books. She lives and works in New York. Your process absolutely fascinates me. It's sort of at once specific deeply considered and intentional, while also occupying this space of freedom and play and experimentation. And I wondered if you could talk a little bit about how you arrived at that way of working.
2: Yeah, you know, it's not really intentional. Yeah, I mean, I it's just what I do, <laughs> I guess. I mean, I have a pretty ordered, um, like structured way of thinking. Like, I'm, you know, a pretty analytical person and Maybe some would say obsessive. When something captures my interest, uh, you know, I'm gonna, I'm gonna be obsessing pretty hard about that thing for a while and trying to break it down. So I think that that really comes through. Like each project, I'm really giving my full attention and you know, trying to push it as far as I can. And then there's this other side that you know, I'm very receptive to chance and accident and you know, the way that life plays out in general. You know, like there are very few rules in life when you really think about it. And chance, you know, chance plays a pretty large part in the way that our lives unfold. I mean, we can have some control over certain things. But anyway, in in my art making process, I try to mirror real life in that way. Like it's a collaboration between, you know, concrete action on my part and chance.
1: One thing I really admire about the way you work is this sort of constant shifting of tools and processes and strategies. Mm-hmm. And it feels like your whole practice is really reimagining what a photograph can be in all of these different ways. And I wondered if you could talk a little bit about how ideas begin for you and how they evolve through that shifting of tools or experimentation or chance that like you just described.
2: Mm-hmm. Yeah, you know, usually I will discover something visually either in my studio that happens or out in the world. And for some reason, it just will not exit my mind, you know, and those are the things that I'm like, oh, okay, I really need to push this further and see what this is all about. Like the things that keep me up awake at night. So, you know, and like an example, like the film electric project that, you know, that came about from like a really routine, just like cleaning out my, Film archives, I was like getting ready to move and trying to just downsize basically. and um, so I was cutting into all of these old negatives, like the ones that I knew you know were never gonna make a good print. They were like awkward compositions or a bracketed exposure that was a bit too dark or too light. And you know, I noticed as I was like about to throw those away, I was like cutting them up over plastic film sleeves and they were adhering to that based on their like static charge. And um that just kept me awake at night, you know, thinking of like this reordering of, you know, the past decade of my life in fragments um based on this random or like invisible force. You know, there are like lots of metaphors in there, which is usually the case in my in my work. Um you know, I mean it was It was made at a time where like Tumblr was really big, you know, like images were being seen in different ways and circulated really rapidly and in surprising kind of chaotic ways. And then also I had just lost my parents. And so that was a huge shift for me in my life. And the way that I was thinking about my past was really cut up and fragmented and everything was, you know, fairly chaotic. At that time so so that's how I you know came to work with that material and you know most of my projects are are like that like it's a a discovery that I make that it doesn't matter if I haven't worked with that material before it's just if it speaks the language that I need to speak at that moment then that's what I'm gonna do.
0: Yeah
1: it's almost this perfect synergy and I appreciate that there's tons of testing and failed experiments that we don't see. Yeah. I, I appreciate that. You know, there's so, yeah. obviously there's so much that goes into getting those, you know, when, that synergy when everything comes together but I love uh-huh. the way that whether it's the equipment or the material or the process is more than what it seems they, be- they become they sort of elevate into meaning makers in themselves and you know film electric's a great example of that At the end of the road like they all integrate meaning through the way that you harness the tool or the process and it feels like that's so vital for you in the way you think about your creative practice
2: Yeah, you know, I mean, it just, it really keeps me excited about, you know, the world engaging with it and, and the medium of photography. I mean, I, I just love photography, like everything about it. I I mean, there isn't a genre that I don't like. (laughs) Um, I mean, it just, it speaks volumes about our culture and it's, it's just embedded in like every aspect of our culture. So I really like exploring that. I mean a lot of the times you know some people like to focus on with my work um you know this like reinventing rein- photography and I see that but I don't think that that's really what my work is about or trying to do it's more um it's tapping into like the various things that photography can do to talk about specific things like each project is investigating something whether it be a visual culture itself, or emotion, or memory, or, you know, AI, or you know what I mean, like, various things.
1: There's a huge amount to unpack, I think, with all of your work. And I am not embarrassed to say this, but I said this to you when I interviewed you recently that, you know, I've been such a fan of your work for such a long time, but I never approached you about doing an interview because I was almost too intimidated. I wasn't sure if I <laughs> had the but I wasn't sure if I had the ability to kind of be able to articulate in some way, mm-hmm. what, what it was about. Because for me, it, it's just so loaded in such a fascinating way that whenever I come back to any of your projects, even the really early work, mm-hmm. they're still, they they hold so much for me. And so, yeah, it's really, it's, it is so deep and so rich with different references, much, much deeper than, you know, just about reinventing the medium for sure. I, I wanted to go back to Film Electric, actually, because one thing I love about that project is this notion of the performance of materials and how sometimes in your work you're both the spectator and the maker and the director kind of all in one yeah and I wondered how that process makes you feel
2: oh I love it you know I mean it's um, it's just completely absorbing for me and uh, yeah it's again you know witnessing chance you know in real time and it's you know it's kind of like tapping into some like Buddhist philosophy, you know, I mean, these films are almost like film sculptures, like kinetic film sculptures is how I think of them. And they're always, they're just constantly changing as I'm photographing them. Um, But at the same time, I'm twisting this acetate support that they're, they're on. So it is very much like a collaboration between myself, like my action and this invisible force. And uh, yeah, it's, it's interesting. It brings up, uh, you know, like, because all of the film that I use is from my own archive, it's, you know, seeing these new relationships emerge between these parts of my life is pretty interesting. And then, you know, at the end, you just watch it all fall apart into a, like a pile. So, yeah, I really enjoy it. it. It takes me out of my own head. And it's, it's sort of like, um, I don't know, I guess it, it's somewhat like watching a film like watching a story unfold where i don't have a lot of control
1: over it you know it's just happening that really makes me think of the physicality of your practice and and we don't often talk about the physicality of photography but it's such a physical gesture, whether you're a street photographer or a still life photographer or an artist or however you kind of use the medium. And I think thinking about your project Hole in the Curtain, where you have this quite sensorial yet highly volatile process of making work with chemicals, mm-hmm. it kind of really brings that to life. And I wondered if you could talk a little bit about that work and what the process was like for you, because in my head, it could have been so stressful or so meditative at the same time
2: yeah yeah you know it's it's completely both yeah it's very hands-on you know that project out of everything else that I've worked on is the hardest to talk about and uh you know I totally own that like at this point I kind of I feel like everybody should have a project that they struggle to talk about (laughs) you know that just means that they live somewhere a little bit deeper down or something but yeah that's that's probably the most hands-on thing that I've worked on or most like bodily um I mean you know when it's working with chemicals like I got bleach in my eye working on that it was terrible ouch (laughs) at one point You know, I felt kind of like high on fumes half the time um, before I started wearing a mask. But yeah, you know, that project. So most of those are, um, they're they're painting, all of them are paintings on unexposed sheet film. And paintings meaning like using like very concentrated watercolor pigment and then also using bleach and photographic, uh, film developer. So what happens with those is the you know the bleach actually eats through the film emulsion, and then it just it creates these unpredictable holes in the film emulsion, which leaves just the plastic substrate that the film that the emulsion is sitting on. And you know, so it's very unpredictable. I work a lot with expired film, so like no two sheets are the same. And so, in terms of subject matter, most of those are based on family snapshots, um, like old snapshots of people I knew, of myself, um, you know, family members. Um, and then some are drawn from recollections as well of people, you know, in painting on those, you know, the way that the film emulsion works is the, especially with the developer when I paint with that, like draw a line, I don't actually see that line fully for another five to 10 minutes. So I'm constantly like reacting to marks that I've made like 10, five or 10 minutes ago. So, you know, it's pretty messy, (laughs) the results. Mm. And, you know, chaotic and, you know, I photograph them when the paint and the bleach and the developer are, are all still active and swirling. So they're really energetic and the end it's just a big mess very much like film electric at the end there's basically nothing you know nothing left and I photograph them just like in film electric like in stages and it's it's the same kind of a process like it's it's like a performance unfolding in front of me but it's one in which I'm also a participant and a spectator so yeah I guess I just really like being engaged in those kinds of processes.
1: Yeah. Yeah. With both of those projects, obviously there's this sense of transience and there's a limited time that you're with the work in some ways mm-hmm. in terms of like what the, what the work is that we as the viewer end up seeing. Mm hmm. I'm, I'm curious emotionally what that ride's like for you, because obviously you're juggling a lot, as you say, like playing these different roles within the collaboration. But mm-hmm. the fact that you know that it's not going to be there, whether whether that's in a few minutes or in a few hours, like things are going to collapse or things are going to change beyond the point that you are interested in. How, I'm just curious yeah. how that feels emotionally, because for me that's that feels like such an outpouring of creativity, and then and then it's gone. Yeah. And I'm curious if that is like a thrill for you, or if there's like some sadness in that. I don't know. I'm just kind of curious yeah. about that journey.
2: Yeah, oh, these are really interesting questions. Um, yeah, it's totally a thrill. I, I feel like I'm like kind of just like I'm there for the ride, and you know, I do get some some images out of it that really surprise me. You know, both uh, Hole in the Curtain and Film Electric. You know, both of those really surprise me every time I see the results, and there's a lot that I don't get. You know, it's I, I think I said in an interview at one point, it's not that unlike street photography in that you know things are changing rapidly, and you're kind of like waiting for that decisive moment to hit and to capture it. And sometimes I miss it, you know, because the film pieces are like moving so rapidly, I might not get that picture that I thought was this perfect encapsulation of, you know, an emotion or a thought or something, or same with hole in the curtain where I feel like everything just like gelled into place perfectly. That's lost in a few seconds. So I might not get it. And then that's just going to live in, in my mind only nobody else is going to see that, but you know, that's, that's life. Right. Um, Mm I feel like it's, it's all just right along with like how life works um so I you know have to accept it but yeah mostly it is um it is kind of a thrill (laughs) to watch it all unfold
1: I kind of like to imagine you as like some sort of like artistic kind of octopus in the studio and all your hands (laughs) are moving so quickly trying to do so many different things that's kind of how I I I imagine it if you were like yeah when you reveal part of the process it just feels like it's impossible to conjure and that and that's kind of why it is so magical but yeah I love that I love thinking about you in the studio like that Um, that's hilarious (laughs) I mean it probably
2: doesn't actually look like that and you know in real life it might be a little bit more
1: manageable than it seems but um it's probably actually very organized knowing you I feel like (laughs) there's probably (laughs) like a lot of yeah precision in the chaos
2: yeah it's both yeah you know you know how it is you get a system down and you know you just figure it out through trial and error but yeah, you know, I'm not doing so much work like that these days, but I think that end of the road and in, in its own way emerged out of that because the, that those moments are so fleeting as well that I was in this space of like, oh, I have to capture this as fast as possible or it's going to be gone. You know, this person with, you know, walking down the road to the end of the road or back from the end of the road and the light catches them just just so. And it's like, one second that that lasts or you know the way that their face tangles with like the silver maple leaves through the frame you know what I mean Mm. you know like that that feels those feel like a performance as well to me in some ways especially because there was that distance like with that I I didn't have any you know direct participation there you know through a window but, you know, it's it's similar to that, like the fleeting moment and having to capture something as quickly as possible. And a lot of lost moments, like witnessing it, but not capturing it.
1: Yeah, I'm glad you brought that work up because it, it, there's a lot of deep emotional energy in that in that project for me, End of the Road. Can you can you talk a little bit about how that emerged and kind of your state of mind where you were making that project?
2: I started that project in, you know, March or April of 2020, and um, I was in upstate New York, you know, the Catskills, you know, so it was very much like the very beginning of the pandemic that uh, that I started that work, and, you know, I don't need to say too much probably about what things were like at that time. Um, you know, I had just left New York City, and uh, things were scary, and there was a lot of isolation and none of us knew what was happening or what was going to happen, you know, really. And um, anyway, I, you know, this house it's, it's situated at the end of a country road, um, a gravel road. And from the house, you can see like in the distance, the cul-de-sac, like the very end of the road. And beyond that is just forest for miles. And you know, so I found myself in this in this place, and I didn't know how long I would I would be there. And um, I, you know, it was this kind of quiet time where you know everybody started noticing more, and you know their immediate surroundings. People were getting into birding, and you know I certainly was. <laughs> mm-hmm. um, and you know, I started to notice people um, just walking to the end of the road and wondering i you know just wondering who these people were you know what their story was did they escape the city did they live there you know already uh, what were they going through and why were they walking to the end of the road and you know over time i started to notice that some people there were like recurring figures people that would continue to you know incorporate it every day into their routine Um, And then there were like all of these like mysteries, like there was one, one time when a man, I just saw him walking back from the end of the road with a ladder by himself and he was smiling, things like that, that just captured my imagination. So a lot of it, you know, it was about longing, you know, longing and desire some of the the people, especially women, I thought, oh, you know, I wonder if we would be friends. You know, you're sort of like studying them. <laughs> <laughs> so, you know, it came from that, and you know, a desire for connection, but also just a an interest in you know who they were. And um, I was also watching a lot of film at that time. I had just watched um, Antonioni's trilogy, and you know, in, in those films, there are a lot of scenes of women like Monica Vitti, like looking out at, out through windows at people far away. <laughs> so I think that really informed that project and just the times and um, or reflected the times. And um, of course, his film Blow Up, um, I don't know if you've seen it, but it's basically there's a photographer and he Um, is photographing in a park and he sees you know these a couple and um, basically he thinks that he's witnessed a murder and so he's like blowing up these prints to see what he can find and the, the more you blow them up the more mysterious they become which is I feel like the case with End of the Road you know they're very mysterious and almost ghostly a lot of those prints because they're they're taken from so far away and it's like the more the closer you look sometimes the the less you can see or the less you can make out
1: yeah they're they're the sort of images that you can't stop staring at and you almost again you, you as a viewer you want to have a physical experience with them you need them you know you need you want to step into them as much as mm-hmm. possible and i feel like i just i love the emotional chaos in this work and it kind of goes back to your point earlier about the layers within your bodies of work because on one hand in this project there's this darkness maybe even a terror yeah that recalls like for me like thriller films and violence and this idea of being watched yeah or surveillance but then equally as you just described there that there are in many ways like joyful moments and, and this imagining of connection and kinship with strangers yeah and it feels like you a lot of your work has has these tensions, I think, for me anyway, like these tensions between two different opposing forces, maybe. Does that resonate for you at all? Oh, yeah, completely. Um, I think that's that's
2: really accurate. And with that project, you know, I mean, I'm always thinking about surveillance. You know, I mean, I've lived in, in New York for 15 years and, uh, you know, I, I feel like I'm always being watched. <laughs> um, yeah. Yeah, I mean, there are cameras everywhere. And I, you know, I live in a building on the 10th floor, you know, where people can see into my windows, I feel constantly exposed. And now with technology, you know, it's in the house, you know, it's always there. So that's always on my mind. And I, I think that it has kind of crept into my work, that feeling and, uh, you know, it's interesting what you said about, like, thriller films. The reading of, of End of the Road has been really varied. From Like, a, a lot of people have told me that, like, it reminds them of, like, thriller films, murder mysteries, like, paranormal, like, UFO and Bigfoot sightings. <laughs> you know, just, like, these kind of, like, darker subjects. And, and then like, of course, the like peeping Tom figure in like rear window, you know what I mean? Like men, mm. you know, just like the, the picture of like the, that man with this giant telephoto lens, photographing ladies through his window. You know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. Um, so, you know, that definitely is there, uh, you know, how we're used to what we associate photography from a distance of people with. Um, is largely, you know, voyeuristic. It's it's largely directed at women, um, objectifying women. Um, and then, you know, the other side of it is like, again, like Bigfoot imagery or UFOs, like what, you know, the mystery of like, what is this when you blow it up? So, you know, I'm aware of all of that. And uh, I've had to be really conscious because... I grew up with all of those films, too, to not favour the photographs of women, (laughs) Mm -hmm. if that makes sense. Like, I've I've tried to be really conscious with that project of representing everybody that I see that walks to the end of the road and back.
1: You're listening to The Messy Truth, conversations on photography. This year was quite a special one for you because you released your first monograph 11 years with St. Lucie books and it's a mm-hmm. really incredible kind of compendium of your work today that charts your practice and then it's sort of interspersed with these incredible essays a great interview with you and also a really moving short story yeah I've talked I've talked about it a lot I can't recommend it enough it's a great it's a great book and I wondered I'm curious kind of how you felt working on the book and reflecting on that kind of decade of work
2: Oh, God, it was so hard. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, it was great. It was really such a great experience, but hard, you know. So the publisher at St. Lucie Books and Mark Alice Durant is the founder of St. Lucie. And, uh, you know, he's just a fantastic person and thinker and writer and artist himself. You know, we edited the book together it was very collaborative and you know, the process was, well, it was his idea to do a book of everything, like all of my projects. And I had always had it in the back of my mind that I wanted my first book to, to be just that. Um, and so it was, you know, it was just perfect in that way. And, um, So I sent him everything, you know, basically like everything I'd ever done. And then he took the, he and the designer took the first stab at editing the sections. And then there were just like a lot of conversations about what images to include and what to cut out. And they wanted to include certain images that I had kind of abandoned um like the cover of the book for instance I hadn't even looked at that image in about eight years I had just kind of cut it out entirely (laughs) and then Mark was like I think that would be a great book cover and I think it is like it it really like it says a lot about my practice that that image of the hands these like cut out hands that are touching you know it's they're reaching for each other, but they're completely disconnected from everything. So, you know, it was great. And I just feel mostly relieved that it's out. <laughs> the book, <laughs> Like it's done. It's very, you know, I feel like I can move forward now in a way into, you know, whatever is next. But the whole process was fantastic. And I'm really happy with how it turned out and all of the writing um, was so enriching. And just like getting to work with Ken Beal and Susan Bright was such a treat. (laughs) And to see what they see in the work and to read their words, it was just so fun.
1: Yeah, it, it really does create a great conversation around the works. One of the things that it really sort of drew out for me, which I don't think always is front of mind when people start experiencing your work is how deeply personal your work is. You kind of touched upon this at the beginning of our conversation, but there's this real autobiographical thread that runs through the book, which is perhaps more pronounced in certain projects than others. Yeah. But I wondered if you think about art making as this sort of cathartic process or a process of metabolization in terms of your life and, and, and all the things that you've been through.
2: Oh, that's such a great word. Metabolization. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. I, you know, I mean, I I think that my, m- what I've been working on more recently is a little bit less personal, although that's always going to be there. Like, how do you separate yourself from what you're working on mm. entirely? But, you know, it depends on what I'm, you know, what I'm going through. I mean, I went through some pretty heavy times earlier on like the, the projects that are earlier on in the book and those had to be part of my practice I mean that was like the forefront of my mind at that time you know so it's definitely there and I I don't know for a while I felt almost embarrassed about that I grew up with an art world that wasn't very receptive to that um so like the personal being a part of your work. And so I, I've been a little bit reluctant to talk about it as much as, you know, maybe I should have, or maybe not should have, but like as much as was actually there mm-hmm. or to like talk about other sides of it because it, it is layered and there are a lot of different facets, you know, to all of my projects. But I think it's important to, you know, to share our, you know, our emotional experiences, both verbally, you know, with friends and family. And if you can find a way to share that through your artwork, I think you should. It helps people feel less alone in their own stories and their own journeys, because like a lot of this stuff, even though everybody's experience is going to be personal and individual, there's, you know, a lot of it is universal, just as human beings. And actually, like the conversations with Mark Durant, like in putting the book together, we talked about these issues a lot, like how much to say and how much, what what not to say. And he really encouraged me to open up and just be transparent about like some of the darker threads in my projects or the more personal
1: threads. It's interesting to think, you know, you were saying about when you started out, it wasn't encouraged. and And you're right. Mm-hmm. I remember that era where we you weren't allowed to say anything personal not in your bio not in interviews yeah. not you know it was really no. like no let it just be seen as it is without you know anything yeah but it's so it's so yeah. funny how times have changed we couldn't be living in a more different era
2: right now <laughs> oh, in I terms know. of like I know. That Absolutely.
1: intersection yeah of identity and, and, and personal work and, and all of these things yeah it's really fascinating are you ready for some quick fire questions We'll see how I do.
2: Yeah, I'm not <laughs> so great with a quick fire. But <laughs> Okay, well,
1: this fire. will be a, it'll be a fun experiment. <laughs> okay, okay. Okay. The first one, how do you deal with self-doubt?
2: Um, I walk. I take lots of walks when I feel self-doubt and just try to escape my own head. And uh, I tend to start just looking at other things outside of myself. And eventually, you
1: know, the confidence comes back. How do you deal with the pressure to follow up after you've finished a project that you've been really deeply invested in?
2: Well, yeah, so there is like this this pressure, you know,
1: as an artist, if you put
2: something out in the world, you know, you tend to feel that people are gonna expect you to follow up with something with the same thing or something deeply related. And I don't always operate that way. So I tend to just follow whatever my interests are at that time.
1: What does art enable you to do? It enables me to
2: be curious and to, yeah, just to be curious, to think about things more deeply.
1: And you've had such a vibrant career so far. Has there been anything you've had to unlearn along the way? What I've learned is that there's, there are a lot of ups and downs and that that's part of
2: the the life of an artist. It isn't like one achievement after another, or, you know, one project that is successful or, you know, feels successful after another. It's a lot of failure in between. It's a lot of experimentation that leads nowhere. It's a lot of projects that nobody cares about but you <laughs> or projects that like don't really fit with the times but might might later, you know, might be looked back on a certain way or a different way. Do you think
1: photographs still have the power to sort of shift thinking or shift consciousness?
2: That's a good question. I do. You know, i I think that there are really Potent, And we're still living in an age where we believe photographs for the most part, you know, that's changing. But, you know, I think most people still see a photograph and they accept that as re- as reality. And I think it does change. I mean, there's certainly an oversaturation issue. But I don't know, for me personally, you know, they're very effective still.
1: To finish up, I wanted to ask you the question that I ask everybody at the end of the show, and that's what matters more to you, the process of making work or the final photograph?
2: The process of making it. It's all the things that you learn along the way and discover. And, you know, we've talked so much about this throughout the podcast. Like a lot of, a lot of it for me is what I see as I'm making things that I'm not able to capture. So it's, It's just so rich, um, that whole process. Yeah. You always hope that, that, you know, in the end, you're going to get something that (laughs) the final outcome will, will mirror that experience somewhat.
1: Well, thank you so much for being on the podcast. It's always such a pleasure to be in conversation with you. You too. Oh, I love it. Thanks for listening to The Messy Truth. You can find more information about today's guests in the show notes. Theme music is changed by Judd Greenstein from the album Awake and design is by Ruby White. You can follow updates on the podcast on my Instagram at jemfletcher or subscribe to my newsletter at jemfletcher.com. Feel free to leave a review on Apple Podcasts.
0: This message comes from BOF sponsor eBay. You'll know real when you get it